2: rarely but sometimes things just go the way you hope they're going to go that is the story of the show you're about to hear it was i don't know it was a shot in the dark in a way i wanted jazz musicians to come together on stage and really talk about what they do without even thinking about it which is the reality, right? So I wanted them to tell an audience what they were really thinking about. So we got a pretty amazing lineup. We got uh, Matt and Atla de Champlain. They are a married couple with a baby on the way. Uh, Atla's a wonderful vocalist. Matt plays piano, and he is just terrific, too. Steve Davis is a legendary trombonist and uh, of a Grammy-winning album this year. Henry Lugo is a fabulous jazz bassist, and Jocelyn Pleasant is a drummer who actually attended the school where we were doing all this, the Watkinson School. So you're going to hear them, and you're going to hear a program we did where they would play things and then kind of explain what they're doing I have never particularly heard anybody do this quite this way before. I was so excited about it. And if you get excited about it, too, you might consider pledging during this show. We're not going to have pledge breaks to bother you, but the number is 1-800-584-2788. Or you can go online at wnpr.org and click the Donate Now button or click the Picture of the Roses. And you could make a pledge to this radio station and say, in so doing, how much you enjoy a very unusual evening like the one you're about to hear
3: fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars let me see what spring is like on jupiter and mars in
2: thanks for coming out tonight. That was really good yeah. um, before i've got some questions for Henry because i haven't talked to him yet before we get started here tonight. I was like, I was over at the dining hall talking to people and pe- one woman came up to me and said, "So are you going to make me like jazz tonight uh, and i wasn't really quite sure what kind of challenge that represented, but um, I just i'm wondering like how how do we uh, bridge that gap? I mean, you must hear that too I mean is it, is it just that people are intimidated, do you think? I mean, what is it that you wish that they knew so they wouldn't feel like this
4: was some kind of enormous challenge for them to get over? I think there's a certain amount of cutting oneself some slack on not immediately liking it, quote-unquote, because you don't, this is going to sound awful, you don't have to like it. Sure. But uh, I'd say spending time with the music, getting out to hear it, I mean, I, I think already probably everyone here probably feels a little more excited about jazz, just even just taking part in it with us, singing a little with us and stuff. So... Yeah, don't be. They'll be concerned that you don't like it upon first blush, because so many of the revered records too are a little harder to crack than others. You know, so so sometimes you might just get the wrong first record, or you might go see the wrong first band, quote unquote wrong. You know, so get a couple of records. You know, and make sure you get a couple of records from a couple of different periods. Don't go out and get, you know, some freeform jazz for your first record. You know, go get, you know, Brubeck's Time Out, or you know, I mean, a, you know, something that you know is a, the greatest jazz selling record of all time is Kind of Blue. Yeah. Get that record, you know, something that's gonna grab you, you know. So yeah, I'd say that there's a lot.
2: So when you, when you get Kind of Blue, you'll also realize that 80 movies that you saw uh, <laughs> use songs from Kind of Blue, too. you are like, oh, that's what that song is, okay. So I wanna talk a little bit more about what goes on when you guys are soloing. And so, Steve, one thing that I, I was listening to what you guys just did with that song, with Fly Me to the Moon, Some people have told me that in a way you should almost think about it as a little story the band is telling. Is that a reasonable way to think about it?
1: In this case, uh, I think it was particularly for a couple reasons. One, playing with not just a singer, but Atlas. She's a wonderful singer. We've worked a lot together in recent years. It makes me want to be a little more extra lyrical when I play my horn. You know, just sort of uh, dovetailing on what Henry uh, was talking about. I think it was Duke Ellington who said, there's two kinds of music, good and bad. I'm sorry, country and Western. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Um, You know, (laughs) songs are songs. Music is music. I love all kinds of music. And, uh, you know, jazz, so-called jazz musicians just tend to uh, sort of dwell in this area of society, music, artistic expression where we, we were influenced by a lot of things. Then there's a thing called swinging. You know, right now we're swinging, we're playing a standard. So I tried to play something appropriate for the song. And, but, but I also love the chord changes and I really was digging Henry and Matt, the way, what they were playing to delineate the chords. And Matt might hit a voicing on the piano and I go, my ears, you know, my radar's on. I mean, I might not be looking at them, but I'm listening, and I try to leave a little space so they can, you know, we're 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 having a conversation via the chord progression of Fly Me to the Moon. Could, and could, that's
5: could we cool. just break
2: that out for a second? Do you think you guys, you guys could do that? Could you do whatever he's talking about when he says voicing? Um, just play a little bit of what you played, and and then you sure. react it. Can you guys do that? Um, well, you said that you were listening to Matt's voicing. Yeah. Okay, so, okay. But,
1: like, well, explain what that means. Before we even start improvising together. Matt, like the very first chord is F minor, I believe, right? We're winding up in A-flat major, which is a relative major to F minor. Music theory stuff, so... Okay, that's gonna scare them, so don't, don't, that's say, okay. don't say
2: things like that anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: It's okay, so um, just take a deep breath. No, um, so Matt could play an F minor chord many different ways. Matt, can you show us a few different voicings on the piano for F minor? Sure. Sounds so. Play, play the first one
5: again. Now play the next
1: one. I, I went to the ninth. It's kind of a little higher, right? It's, it's all numbers. I, I was terrible at math in high school in in <laughs> Binghamton, New York. Everyone's got to be from somewhere. I'm from Binghamton. Uh, I love Binghamton though. But, and I had a high school math teacher, Mr. Dvorsky, who caught me trying to write out a Bobby Timmons moaning from the Art Blakey record, and he said, that doesn't look like a parabola to me, Mr. Davis, and he (laughs) wadded it up, and it was, no, you know, Um, and so I was always thinking about music, and I thought I was terrible at math, I was more of a humanities guy, and then uh, I realized, I must be pretty good at math, most jazz musicians are, because we're organizing numbers. We can demonstrate this really quickly. F F Dorian minor, or F minor nine, F minor seven, F minor nine, F minor eleven.
2: Can we can we add Henry to this? Will that work? Can we do that? Yeah,
1: Yeah. Henry's gonna gonna walk the dog, as we say.
2: He'll he'll walk the bass. He's gonna
1: walk bass lines through that chord. Then then Jocelyn might, knowing her, she's she's so tasteful. She'll listen for a minute, and then she's gonna just kind of slip in there and start tipping we call it on the drums so let's try it and we're gonna stay on the first chord only F minor To stop right there. Did you hear that one note that sounded a little ah da da da? Because Matt played a, ma- a minor major seven. He had the audacity to throw an E natural in an F minor chord, which, which has E flat in it usually. That's called a minor major seven. Can, can, can we dig that one? Sounds like a Mickey Spillane novel. Next time, I'll have done it, you know tune in next week uh, so yeah so so, so when I heard that I, I, I said touche <laughs>
4: well played Matt <laughs> so
1: I so,
5: you know, as opposed to
1: right next door it's just a little subtle difference we, it, it's almost like playing chess or just having a conversation we're we're, you've got to be a good listener. There's a great uh, pianist. He passed away a few years ago. Too soon. His name is Mulgrew Miller. Mm-hmm. One of the all-time greats. Uh, we had him at the Jackie McLean Institute at heart. He gave him a great master class to the students. And he said something that day. It was very simple, but it was really impactful. He said, Show me a great player, jazz player. Show me a great player, and I'll show you a great listener. And he meant that in, in the moment of the music, and he also meant it in life. Yeah, all of that. So.
2: All right, let's add a singer to this, okay? So I loved your
6: original question, and it just made me think of this thing that I asked Matt. Matt and I met when I was in high school, and I remember, you know, as a singer, I have to sing a literal story, to your point. You know, like, and if I don't know what the lyrics are about it, you're gonna, you can tell, right. right? So I remember asking Matt after we had been, I used to ask him if he would hang out. After school with me to, to practice music. I really just wanted to date him. But we had we did some, some singing and playing and it was great. But I remember asking him, like, when you're playing a love song, are you thinking lovely thoughts? Are you thinking about me? Like, what are you thinking about? And I think immediately Matt Matt was like, Oh my God, I think I'm supposed to say yes. I could see in his face, he was like, I'm not thinking about you. I'm thinking about everything that Steve's talking about. It's a language. So to to some extent, well, I know that we can't speak for all jazz musicians out there, and there are some people who like to tell a very literal story or we might even say a tone poem, music that sounds like something. When, when they're soloing, they are telling a story, but it's not Fly Me to the Moon. It's not the lyrics to Fly Me to the Moon. It's a musical story, and it, it's still supposed to do the same things that a literal story does. It's still supposed to move you. And I remember studying with Steve, and he was, we were doing one of his favorite tunes, How Deep Is the Ocean? And there's this one chord change that happens in the middle of the song. And he had a stop. And he was like, I don't think that moved any of you guys. So you're not listening. You know, like, you did. I remember it. It stuck with me. So it's just to say, like, there's different ways to to ask that question. Like, are you telling a literal story? Yes and no. It's still a literal story, but it's a musical story. So Matt wasn't thinking about me, but I still think it was lovely thoughts.
2: (laughs) So this is actually true. I used to rehearse with Matt after school, too, but it was pretty clear that we were not gonna date each other. Um, And so this, and occasionally Matt and I and Diane Maurer and some other people have even performed together. And Matt, so now you know what I mean when I say Matt is the most patient person in the world. So, cause like we would do a song 60 times until I could get it right. And so, and then we would perform and that would be amazing. You've heard of how amazing he is. But I was saying to him, and he immediately corrected me, but I was saying to him before the show tonight, I said, I didn't really know who you were until I went over to Black Eyed Sally's one night you we were playing with a trio, like your own trio, your own stuff. And then I'm seeing this kind of a different Matt. You know, I mean, somebody's really also, now you're not worrying about a singer anymore. I know you're gonna marry a singer uh, at the time. So um, you're not worrying about the singer anymore. And so I'm wondering about that. I'm wondering for you, you're a fabulous accompanist but you also just can play out with a group. I mean, how different is
7: are those two roles? Well, the piano is certainly an orchestral instrument, and you can play more than one note at a time. There's a lot of different roles that we play. I could play solo piano. I could play in a trio context with bass and drums or bass and guitar. I played quartet with Steve. Accompanying a singer is a whole different thing, too. So you, you listen to the masters, like everyone's kind of been saying, and try and find what you're... The best, I'm still doing it, trying to figure out how I best can support whoever I'm accompanying. When I play trio, of course, then my left hand, for the most part, is accompanying myself, and my right hand has the lead or the melody.
2: But can we just go back to that thing? Like, you were saying you have been li- you're listening a lot to Ellis Larkin, or I would yes, seem like Tommy yeah. Flanagan is another person, like, really yeah. famous. I mean, incredible jazz pianist, any way you slice it, but also really famous for being able to work with vocalists. So, yes. so what's different? about that. In what way are you listening to the vocalist and are you building in certain kinds of sound around that vocal or?
7: That's well said, yeah, exactly. Um, I listened, uh, lately I've been listening, I think it's the earlier mid-40s, Ella Fitzgerald playing duo with this great pianist, Ellis Larkins. And the way, and it's just the two of them, it's such an intimate recording and it's fantastic because it's mostly all ballads and medium tempo things that It doesn't get crazy, and there's not really any scatting, there's minimal soloing by Ellis, but you really hear the songs, you hear the beauty of the actual timbre of the piano and, and Ella's voice, which is just phenomenal. But Ellis just supplies this foundation for Ella to do her best and to do what she does. And I think when you don't get in the way, and I'm constantly feeling, even as an accompanist, even tonight, I'm like, oh, I think I just got in the way here or there. Um, You're constantly trying to recover, uh, but I think accompanying is an art in in any way. You know, whether it's Steve playing behind Atler or or Jocelyn, um, Henry, myself, it's accompanying accompanying definitely is an art.
2: Do you want to say anything as a musician? Let me, put it Let me put it this way. So Atla was saying that in some ways, you know, Matt sometimes has to almost evangelize with musicians who are used to playing in instrumental groups. Like, it can still be really fun with a singer, too. Yeah. T- talk about that difference, because some musicians, I think, think, well, if there's a singer, the audience is really just going to listen to the singer.
4: Yeah. It's going to be a different thing. So talk about that. I'm always thinking about what does a soloist need, whether it be Steve playing a trombone solo or singing the melody or improvising a, a, a vocal solo. So what is it, A, that they need to be free enough to improvise and have their mind clear to just access their ideas and have no problems coming from behind them? Like, where is the bass player? Like, is he lost? Does he even know what he's doing back there? So, so A, providing that landscape where they, they feel like, okay, I feel safe. I can improvise. I can try some stuff. I can reach for some stuff that I'm not sure is there, but you know, I'm sure I have a sound a sound fi- foundation behind me, and and vice versa. I'm always looking to do that A, and then B. I'm always listening to my soloist and always listening to my fellow accompanists, and always looking for somebody to make me change what I thought I was going to play. You know, so you know if I know the next chord is F7, there's a bunch of options that I know I have. You know, so oh, on an F7 chord, I play X, Y, and Z. But if Steve does something with the rhythm or, you know, Matt changes something in the voice, I'm like, oh, cool. Now, now I, okay, the chord is F7 and then there's this other thing bubbling. Can I incorporate that? And then we're all talking, you know, and then we're all talking and we're all listening. As opposed to, oh, F7, I'm just going to play these four notes because they fit on the chord just fine. And the next chord is this. There's always this constant dialogue. Okay, I know the chord is F7. Now, what did Steve say? And, um, oh, it sounds like maybe uh, me, and, me and Matt need to straighten out some harmony there. Like, I'm thinking this and he's thinking that. I mean, Matt play, played a couple of substitutions in Fly Me to the Moon, which is when one chord is expected. And then he throws in something that's not quite that, but still functions in the same way and has a similar sound. So if I'm, if I'm spry enough, I can catch it, you know, and then, and then Steve can catch it. And then, and then we're talking. Um, and I love that. All right. So let's make the music happen. I'm handing it off to whoever. Are you just going to count
2: them in? Is that what's yeah. going to happen? Okay. Uh,
3: one, two, one, two, three. Hide your heart from sight. Lock your dreams at night. Eat. Don't count stars or you might stumble, baby. Someone drops a sign down. You tumble, keep your eye on spring. Run when church bells ring.
2: a term a little while ago. He said, "Well, we're swinging it. We're swinging this." I don't know, what is that? Does that mean a specific thing to you? We're swinging it. Yes. Okay, what does it mean?
0: <laughs> I trying to think of an eloquent answer here. Somebody um,
2: once told me it's you, you you play the fast notes slow and the slow notes fast. But I'm sure it's much more complicated I mean, than that.
0: For, for me, it's all about who's on the stage with me and it's all about we've talked a lot about listening, of course, mm-hmm. but it's even more than that. It's how you feel the the quarter note going by like is it you know right on the beat is it like ever so slightly a little off are you leaving more space in kind of the open symbol pattern that i'm playing or are you playing every single quarter note are you playing every other one mm. so all of those things go into how then they are reacting to me and then i in turn react to them mm-hmm. and being with the singer as a drummer is also a whole different animal, I have to think differently. I mean, for me personally, I like it a lot. Mm. Um, I think it suits my playing, being that I listen like, to, to everything all the time, and I also like being with another woman on stage. Shout out. Yep. <laughs> I mean, you know, let's be real. <laughs> Just the, the, Because it's all about feeding off of everyone's own energy on stage. There's yep. a lot of energy transfer amongst people on whatever music you're playing, but especially jazz. So,
2: Henry, I also feel like when we talk about swinging it, and please uh, correct me about this, but um, so Richard Rodgers used to write, you know, Richard Rodgers songs, and then guys like this and women like this would swing them, and it used to drive him nuts. He hated it, right? I think he wanted to sue, like, the Marvelettes or somebody because they didn't play the song the way he wrote it. Um, and he and Hart, I think, I even wrote a song about that, right? I like to, I like to recognize the tune, right? Mm-hmm. So, but I feel like part of swinging it is that, right? You're taking a melody that's constructed in a certain way, and then you're making what a different set of decisions? Or yeah, yeah.
4: Well, you're, you're, you're taking a song that's written in a certain and a certain vernacular, say a show tune. The bulk of these tunes are show tunes. Um, I think Jerome Kern famously hated people improvising on his tunes, and. Sadly enough for him, All the Things You Are is probably like the most improvised upon tune going. It's like the B-flat standard that everybody calls. If nobody knows a tune, let's just play All the Things You Are. And Jerome must be just rolling, you know. But, um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it is, so, so taking it out of that, 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 that setting and then putting it into this other setting, which at the time was like a new approach to keeping time, you know, um, this idea of swinging a tune. So, so playing that 4-4 that four, four, uh, swing pattern behind these tunes, they were two-beat tunes that existed on, in these kind of you know, corny-ish Broadway tunes, no offense to Broadway lovers, you know, but the, so they, they kind of hip them up, and, it, and that's, I think that also might be part of why people have a hard time sometimes getting their feet on the ground with jazz, because um, now this idea of swinging a tune which used to be like a new sound to people in the 40s or in the 30s is now, for better or for worse, an old sound, you know, compared to the music that that especially kids are growing up on now that is, you know, uber electrified, And, and I love that music too, and that also informs the way I play this music, you know, I mean, I grew up, you know, I was born, not to divulge too much, but I was born in 1975, so I grew up on... You know, lots of rock and roll and funk music. And, you know, I didn't come to jazz, quote unquote, until I was, you know, an early teenager or whatever. So all of that informs how I play this music, as opposed to the greats that I admire who were born in the early 1900s, you know, before the electric bass was even invented. I mean, I, I grew up playing the electric bass. I'm just going to inform how I make music today. So I think there's, a, there's no shortage of barriers in some ways, not to be like the downer on the panel, but... Uh, there 's no shortage of barriers to getting inside this music. I mean you know playing time in this way that used to sound new to people now is the quintessential like oh yeah that's that 's old timey music that 's swinging you know but it 's not it's it 's super hip, and if you can get inside of it it's you know it's, it's, it has tons of layers to get inside, of. but I think that, that it sounds so much different than the music that we all just are inundated with today, and it requires more patience and and a little more like sit on your butt and pay attention to this for a bit and maybe a little bit more than we're comfortable with nowadays, I don't know. I might be generalizing, yeah.
2: All right, let me ask Atla one more question about this and then Steve, uh, I wanna talk to you a little bit about where we're sitting right now. But Atla, you are singing a song that was written by Jimmy Van Hughes in a certain way we're not sure. I think maybe Johnny Burke probably wrote that lyric, but whoever wrote that lyric, it's kind of. But you're having to make a different set of choices, right? I mean, anybody who listened to you sing that song right now saw you draw out a certain note, uh, or or stay behind the beat for a little bit. I, can you talk a little bit about how is that? Are you thinking about that as you're doing it, or are you feeling it as you're doing?
6: It? I think it's both. I, any music without thinking, I don't know if I want to be a part of it, <laughs> but uh, it, it's definitely definitely both for me. Vocalists don't always improvise in the same way that an instrumentalist would. I don't want to scat on everything, but it's my way, like the first time I sang it through, I tried to sing it mostly how the composer wrote it with some jazz sensibilities, to give credit to the composer, even if they didn't want me to do it in the first place. Um, And then the second time through, and I'm not scatting, I'm still using the lyrics, I'm just trying to develop the melody. I'm still locked in because I have the lyrics. So I'm in a way limited. Um, but it's definitely, I, you can't take your heart out of it as a singer. It's the most transparent thing you ever do, and you get fired real fast if you take the, the feeling out of it. So that's probably first, but I'm definitely thinking up here and okay. really trying to.
2: So, Steve, we have to say a little bit about this, that there's something odd. I mean, when I tell people I'm from Hartford, when you tell people you're from Hartford, what well, people used to go is, yeah, insurance and the defense industry. Wow, it sounds like you a really happy place. Um, Sounds like a really life-affirming place, insurance and the defense industry. Um, But they don't say, and jazz, although they kind of should. I mean, this place, like where where we're standing right now, if you draw some some radii out from here in just like five mile lines, you're gonna hit like all this incredible jazz. uh, And Hartford just punches above its weight. I mean, what is that all about? I think
1: Hartford has a long history uh, for jazz music and certainly in nineteen seventy when Jackie McLean came up here to live and, st- and teach and start the artist collective over in the north end of Hartford with his wife Dolly McLean he brought a sort of presence and authenticity to Hartford's jazz scene and, and both as uh, an educator as a community activist and as a, a real jazz legend who embodies the tradition of the music and so for me all these years to be a part of that lineage along with my colleague nat reeves who's been a great influence on all of us um and people like renee McLean, and um I, I could go on and on our, our department chair javon jackson's now a resident of, of, of the community there's so many great musicians and it's really rewarding now to look up in new york and and see a, just droves of our former students who are Desron Douglas, Jonathan Barber, James Burton, uh, Javon Alexander. I mean, the people, Alexander. the people he's
2: mentioning are big names in jazz right now, big yeah. young names in jazz. And I, J- I will Josh say also... Bruno, the trumpeter. Like, yeah. like, Paul Brown and I were, were friends, and back... I used to do a show for TIC back when it was in the Gold Building, and Paul would just kind of show up, show up in my studio, unannounced sometimes, and he'd bring some young people with him and looking back I remember he brought in this kid like he really was a kid named Jimmy Green yeah, you know I mean there. like they just like <laughs> walked into my studio and started playing in the gold building and I think one thing you don't understand about that is is it's it's ambient around here I mean there's because of what's in Bushnell Park because of the artist collective because of that you really can get so much of it and then we still haven't said the hall high School program which uh, is yeah. kind of and, and another thing that that means is that Brad Meldow, who came through that, and mm-hmm. is you know this just a gigantic piano player now, has a song called West Hartford. And Steve has a song called, which I play all the time called Rose Garden, which is about uh-huh. Elizabeth Park. Right? You, I mean, one thing about having jazz musicians around here is you guys start to document the landscape too, right?
1: Sure, sure. The Greater Hartford Festival of Jazz folks commissioned me to write a, a suite, mm. and it could have been anything I wanted, but I felt like at that point I had been living here for a few decades. I wanted to give back to the community. I, so I tried to name different movements of, of the piece, you know, for different, um, I think I had tune for Calhoun.
5: <laughs>
1: I'm there, um, I'm, you know, I went to yeah. a lot of Yukon games <laughs> over the years, uh, you know, th- things like that that are identifiable to this community. And this, area. it it, could, it should have been tuned for Geno, right. actually. Well,
2: it's- <laughs> That could, right? that could be the same. I mean, I love Jim yeah. Calhoun, but, man,
1: Gino's the man. Right. in the...
2: So now, now what we're going to do, what they're going to do, they're going to play an instrumental this time, and what I ask them to do... So there's a term of art among musicians. One of the terms is head arrangement. So one of the things that I find mystifying is how they... I mean, we're starting to, I think, kind of tease some of this apart a little bit, but like how they make all these decisions before they even play. So they... I think the only thing, I think it's fair to say, the only thing that they know so far, the four of them, is which song they're gonna do. I don't think a key has been discussed. I don't think a tempo has been discussed. Um, uh, I don't think anything's been discussed beyond that. So, I don't know, Matt, what has to, like, do you guys have to say anything to one another now? Or, for the benefit of the audience, what is it that you're gonna be figuring out right now? Well,
7: first, of course, the tempo. Uh, the speed at which we're going to play. Uh, yep, there you go. So Steve will count it off. And um, uh, from there, again, I would say since Steve is in the front line, as a horn player, he's acting like the vocalist, and usually the vocalist would be, again, up front. So we're, in a way, in a lot of ways, following him, and he'll have the lead of the melody.
1: This, this is great, Colin, because uh, there is. It's like there's this sort of... Um Alternate, you know, there's this stuff going on that you can't, like this other dimension, or this flow of of information, like stock tickers or something between us. And although, well, yeah, but nonetheless, um, you know, we've all listened to this music so much and played so much in our lives. There's certain kind of when, well, we called a tune called "Solar" by Miles Davis. Does everybody and, know uh, what, key,
2: what key you're playing in? Yes, yeah.
1: it's it's in C minor, yeah. and guess what? It's got the minor major seven, Mickey Spillane chord at the beginning. All right.
2: Listening to this show and liking what you hear, do not hesitate to call 1 800 584 2788. That's 1 800 584 2788. That's how you can pledge to the station. You can also pledge really easily online at WNPR.org. Click donate now. and pleasant Henry Lugo Matt Champlain, Steve Davis we'll be right back I've got a whole bunch of people that I need to say thank you to. Jonathan McPants is the producer who pulled this show together. Also, we had some wonderful help from our friends at Event Resources who kind of miked and channeled uh, all, all the audio there at Watkinson School. I also have to, of course, uh, thank my friends at Watkinson School, Terry Schrader in particular, and Jenny French, who make all that stuff hum. So thanks to everybody else who, who helped out, who cooperated, who stood out in the audience and sang. And we're going to return you now to that programming
6: yeah nice job you're all hired so the idea is that's how like we were talking about mimicking music is the best way to learn the language Eventually you get so sick of copying somebody else that you say I have to do something of my own and that's where improvisation for yourself comes in.
2: Here's what we're going to do. You have a little few time a few minutes to ask some questions and then we're all going to sing a song together at the end too. So, okay, who's got the microphone? You. Okay.
6: So, I'm still wondering about the solos and how you know who's gonna go in what order? And do you have any sort of conversation about that? I know you're looking at each other and you're listening, but like, is there any point where you're like, all right, I'm gonna go first, and then it's gonna be you, and then you? And then also, like, does it ever happen where two people come in at the same time, and then is there like a jazz cage match? Like, how do you deal?
1: (laughs) you, You know, I would say it's about being available in the moment being available so that you're not so stuck on what you're gonna play or what you've practiced and and kind of beholden to sort of running running your stuff on the other musicians that's not really so happening that can sound okay but it, it's kind of like there are these key little moments once we finish the melody you know we you just sort of have a sense
0: Right, and again, it's like you said, it's about the the eye contact, and it's about like we can't we can't be so closed off, and we can't just look down, we can't just be so much in our head yeah. that we have no concept of mm-hmm. what will happen next, and mm-hmm. and again, knowing the song and when the end of the song, and the, we keep talking about form and choruses mm-hmm. and changes, we've thrown those words out a lot, but mm-hmm. that has a lot to do with. Knowing when you should look up. When should I look at Steve to know when I'm going to solo? He could have he could have done that the chorus before, but we made eye contact at a certain point in the song, and I knew. And it's also something that there are kind of um, traditions and standards as far as the order of the solos. Mm -hmm. Typically speaking, it's you know nine times out of ten the drummer won't solo first.
5: (laughs) Want to put that out there?
0: Not that it doesn't happen, but you know what I mean? So certain times you I understand that, you know, either the trombone or usually the piano will go first. So I understand after the melody happens, when the end of that particular chorus is coming, I'll know that I have to keep playing. And it also there's also certain like volume and certain things that I do as the drummer to let everybody know that this is the end of a chorus or you kind of build and you kind of do different things behind one person's solo to let you, you know, that says this is the end. Not like, you know, a basic cymbal crash or something like that. But, you know, like yeah. little, little things like that kind of tell you, like, okay, this is the end and the next person's coming.
1: It was really clear when she was wrapping up her solo. She kind of looked up, but she also, you, you played the melody. Yeah, and I
0: played the, I, yes, actually. Yeah. she played bap,
1: boop, beep, beep, boom, beep, bap Right, so then and they know, you could, yeah. You could hear it. yeah, I'm getting
0: ready, to, something's about to happen, either I'm going to keep going or it's going to be the yeah. end, but that's, the, that's a cue to their ears yeah, that they know something's, you know, either the song is going to continue or I, will, or I will continue, but either way we've all made eye contact and we've all looked at each other, we've all, you know, connected to know something's going to happen. Yeah, and I have to know where that is and they have to know where it is without there being a bass player playing or without there being piano playing. So we're all kind of, I don't want to say counting, because that's maybe not the right word, but there's a feel that this is the end of the song. After you've played these songs enough times, you know the feeling of the end or a transition or something like that.
2: Henry, also, is there, I was asking you this beforehand, when people are playing a solo, they're not playing notes on a page. They're they're figuring it out. Is there a danger of getting
4: lost? Do people get lost in their solos? <laughs> yeah, I got you know you know it, there's there's the danger of always getting lost. So the idea, the way I think we haven't really addressed this, yet, is the idea of form. Don't this word around form? So it's as if you were singing "Happy Birthday" over and over again, <laughs> and and so it's like okay, we're all so to, like it's it's an analogy or whatever. So we're all singing Happy Birthday over and over again, and Steve improvises over it. So every tune's a different length, so you have to know the tune. So Happy Birthday might be X amount of bars long, Solar's 12 bars long. So we're going to loop those 12 bars as accompanist, and Steve's going to improvise, and we're also going to play with the harmony and interact with him, you know, as he says things with his improvisation. So... What's that? Rhythmically. Rhythmically, right. Melodically, rhythmically, whatever, with his body gestures, he, you know decides to flip us off or whatever we know he doesn't like what we're doing you know so so that's the idea so then so the the other thing is so someone says happy birthday to you happy birthday to you you're not looking for anything to happen there you know they're going to finish the song so we get halfway through solar we know nothing's going to happen except he's going to finish that time through it and then we get to the end of the song happy birthday to you happy birthday to you now we're going to look is he going to go again and then if he keeps playing, yeah, he's gonna go again. Another 12 bars, okay, let's keep playing, you know? So that's, that's a lot of the, the form mystery maybe un, unveiled a little bit. Um, you know, so the other idea, so it just loops. So the tune is 32 bars long, it's 32 bars. You get to the end of the 32 bars, the guy keeps going, you're gonna keep playing, you know? So you know at the end of the form, something's going to happen. Either the soloist will keep playing or they're gonna hand it off to another soloist or they're gonna start trading or whatever, you know? And that's the beauty of being a rhythm section player. And that's when you definitely, I mean, I like to check in all the time because I'll, I'll check out if I'm not always checking in. So always interacting, so you know what's happening. But especially at the end of those forms, that's when something new can happen, a new soloist or whatever. So a lot of times, you know, as rhythm sectionists, it, it, it's not uncommon for us to, I mean, hell. I mean, you know, accompany, you know, 20, 30 some odd choruses on a tune, you know, because there's multiple soloists and it keeps going, it keeps going, and then they turn around and say, hey, would you like to improvise? You're like, no i'm done you know, I, I played 30 courses you played three man you know like let's move on you know like yeah so yeah that's the idea you know it's like uh, th- that's the idea of the chorus of the form of the loop so depending how long the tune is it's gonna loop that many times so in the middle of the form you're not really looking for anything aside from more interaction to happen but at the end of the form hey is steve gonna take another chorus is he gonna sing another chorus at happy birthday hmm or not, you know, and then if it's done, then then Matt, someone else may solo, so that's.
2: I just wanna ask one thing about soloing. I'm gonna ask you, Matt. First of all, did I hear you in that middle, in your solo, did I hear you quote a little bit from another song?
7: Yeah, right? I might have, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I think I did. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right, yeah. So, so it's interesting that when I asked you that question, you said, I think I did. I'm wondering, I think people wonder, when you're improvising, when you're soloing, how much of it is, it's sort of the same question I asked your wife, is how much of it's conscious and how much of it is just, I don't know, what, you're just feeling your way along? I mean, what's going on in your head? Well,
7: um, I've practiced uh, the tune quite a bit, and a lot of what I do, the work, of a jazz musician, I believe. I mean, this is spontaneous composition, but we're taking from pieces of, like Steve has been saying, like everyone's been saying, language. This music is a language. So there are little things, there's something I took from Phineas Newborn when he did... And I liked that, and I said, well, maybe I'll just do it with one hand, going... And Art Tatum might have done it too. So I'll steal that piece of language, and when it's appropriate, no, you know, knowing harmony and knowing theory, I'm going to insert it. At, say it this time. So it's like you're learning words, and then sentences, and then your solo, your overall solo. I would guess would be the paragraph or the, you know, the, the couple pages. But there's a lot of there's so much thought uh, that goes into it.
2: Mm. So now we're gonna we're gonna end now. Now, one thing that I'm gonna say is that, so you're gonna, once again, you're gonna sing, you've got the lyrics to Bye Bye Blackbird. You're gonna, they're gonna swing it a little bit, right? We're gonna swing it. And, okay, now the one thing that I wanna say is, don't forget everything that you just heard for the last hour and a half. And the most important thing that's so easy to forget, when we sing, what we think instinctively is, I need to make some noise with my mouth, right? That's what singing is. And the one thing that they've been saying to you all night is it's listening too it's listening a lot so much listening before you even make the noise with your mouth so don't forget that as we're doing this tonight you know you do have to, i mean you can't not make the noise I, you know I, I grant you that but um, but make sure you're listening
3: 1 2
2: Okay. If you just heard that show and you're sitting there thinking, wow, this was really great. How do they do this? Well, one way we do it is we have support from people like you. So please, if you haven't ever done this before, consider calling 1-800-584-2788 and saying, yeah, that was amazing. Keep doing stuff like this. And here's a pledge to help you do it. You can also make that pledge online really easily at wnpr.org. Click donate now or click on the picture of the roses and they make it very, very easy for you. you.
6: on the base.